Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message from one of our pastors, Jim Walsh. Good morning again. I'm going to start us off by sharing one of my favorite pictures with you. These are my five kids. I love this picture. There's just something about it that we captured in there that I really love. Um, and I keep this, oh, you know, it's here and there and everywhere. You know, we got it, you know how you are. We've got them in pictures and frames and all that kind of thing. And, and I have a bunch of pictures in my office too. And um, if you were to ask me, are those pictures there because you can't remember what they look like? I would say no. I know what they look like. These pictures are here not to inform my intellect. They, they are there to inform my heart. That's why I have those pictures. And every time I see those beautiful faces, and it just reminds me of how blessed I am and how much I love my kids. It reminds me to pray for them, to think about them. I love their families. I thank God for giving me them and their, their families and, and some of the crazy times that we have together. And, you know, I always look forward to the next time that we're together. And, and I know that all of you do the same thing when you're with your family, and it's just awesome. So the value of the picture is emotional. It's not intellectual. It touches our heart. And so this morning, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a picture that Jesus left us. And uh, we're going to take a look at a text in Luke chapter 22 in just a moment here. And that's what it is. It's a snapshot. Jesus gives us a picture of himself to remember him by. And we should just pause and take a look at it a lot. Um, it's one of those pictures we should look at like this. I have looked at this picture, I don't know how many times. I love it. Uh, but when we look at this picture that we're going to look at today, it should remind us of just how much that God showed us his amazing love on the cross. And that was the purpose that Jesus left this, this picture. It should just fill your heart with a desire to see him, to know him, to be with him. And so the reality is, the honest truth is, and what we're going to be looking at here in just a moment in Luke chapter 22 is, is the Lord's Supper, the first communion. The reality of it is, I know that for, and I'm probably speaking to myself, but I think if we were all honest, that we would say that there are times when we kind of have grown apathetic and maybe even ritualistic about the way that we approach a times of communion or the Lord's Supper. It just happens. Uh, that's why sometimes we need to just pause and ask some very pointed questions. You know, is my heart ready to meet him? Do I really know him? Am I, you know, do I, am, is there anything in my life that needs to be dealt with so that I, can, that I am ready to meet him? You know, those kinds of things. And have I, have I grown cold toward him? Have I grown cold to this moment called communion? And so that's what I want us to do is I want us to just to take this picture out of Jesus and let something in our heart just say thank you. Thank you, God, for what you've given us in Jesus. And so with that in mind, if you wouldn't mind just standing with me as we look at Luke and read together Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20 together. It says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us to prepare it. He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may, the, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished 
prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke and he gave it to them saying, this is the body which is given, my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Thank you. You can be seated. This is God's word and we just thank you for standing with us. This is other than all the words that I shared today are one thing, but God's word is a whole other thing, right? So we celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month corporately, like today, we're going to celebrate that together. But uh, as you, if you're here every week, you'll notice that we always have communion available for anybody who wants to take that individually. And, uh, and so some people feel, you know, and over the years, you know, I've been in ministry 35 years and I've heard, talked to a lot of different people about how often should we take communion. There's nothing in the word of God that says how often. Uh, some people feel like, you know, it's something that if we take every week, we kind of run the risk of getting too familiar and ritualistic with it. The truth is, anything that you do over and over again, you run the risk of being ritualistic. Like, you know, we sing songs over and over again. We pray over and over again. We read the Bible over and over again, right? So it's not a matter of really, you know, the problem isn't that, you know, to do them less. Well, you know, I don't want the Bible to get ritualistic, so I'm just going to read it less, you know? No. I'm just going to pray less because I don't want it to get ritual. You know, I don't want to do that thing every day. It'll just be a ritual. It's the, so the problem isn't to do something less. It's to address the things in our heart that make us grow cold toward them, right? So that's what I want us to do. I just want us to take some honest time to look at those things in our heart that really maybe just cause us to go, oh, yeah, it's communion. Yeah, right? Okay, good. Uh, because the truth is, if we neglect the Lord's Supper, we miss out on one of the, the, the beauties and the, the, one of the beautiful things that we get to do as believers. So I want us to take some time. So what I want us to do then is, first of all, we're just going to look at how we should approach the Lord's Supper. Does that sound good? So first of all, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we should first take a look at ourselves. That's the first thing. So today, there's just two points, two main points. There might be a few sub points, and we'll see. Um, but if you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Rainey got up and he was talking about, do you remember what he's talking about? He talked about Judas betraying Jesus. And then if you were here last week, uh, you know, the BBs came and that was a beautiful, beautiful service talking about forgiveness. But when, when Pastor Rainey talked about Judas, and then again next week, Pastor Maddox is going to unpack a little bit more about Judas. Uh, actually, the, 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 uh, the, the very first verse of his text next week just says this, but behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. Uh, so you know, it kind of starts off, you know, we, so we've been looking a little bit at Judas and, and honestly, it's just unthinkable when you start hearing the, the narrative that includes Judas and what, what his part of this whole story was because we knew that the Jewish leaders were uh, opposed to Jesus, but one of the 12, yeah, you know, so that still kind of makes you go, ah, one of the 12, how in the world did that happen? So, and then, and then Luke records this silly dispute that breaks out among them, you know, about who's the greatest and all this kind of stuff. And even before that argument uh, breaks out in, the, in, in Mark's gospel, he records that the disciples did something that was very uncharacteristic, but I think it was the right thing to do. And that was the disciples asked 
is it, is it me that he's talking about that's going to betray him? You know, they started looking to themselves. Is, is it I? And, you know, kind of questioning their own allegiance to Jesus. And Matthew's gospel even tells us that even Judas asked that question. Uh, now, with the, in the case of the 11, you know, it makes sense. It was a legit, sincere question. They're looking at themselves saying, could, I be, could it be me that's going to betray Jesus? Whereas I really think that with Judas, it was just a hypocritical question like, well, is it I? You know, uh, he knew. Um, but it's kind of significant, if you'll notice, in, in none of the narratives in, it says that the, 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 the disciple says, well, it's Judas. We all know that. You know, they, their first response is, is it me? You know, so they looked and, and they looked soberly within themselves. That was their first response, which I think is great because that's really what it says here in Matthew, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians, a portion of scripture that we've read many times. If you've been a part of the church, you've heard this, this, this story or this, um, this, these verses. It says, let a person examine himself then. And again, this is talking about the Lord's Supper. So when it's time for a time of communion, it says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when you are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So Paul tells us right from the beginning that we should examine ourselves. That's part, of, that's part of what we should be doing before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And he warns us that if we don't do this, you know, there's, there's judgment that follows. There's sickness that follows. And, it, you know, it's, which means that's pretty serious. Meaning, you know, when it comes to this, this is something the Lord really, really, really wants us to take soberly and seriously. And so he always wants us to encourage and examine ourselves. So we, you've heard us say that. You've probably been in church many times and they say, well, examine yourself. But how? How, how do you do that? What does that look like? So I just want to give you three things to consider that you should do during this time and during every time before we come to, before the Lord's table. How do you examine yourself? What does that look like? How should you do it? What should be the spirit of how we do that? Okay? I think that's important. I think it's just kind of almost been an, un, un, you know, uh, assumed and an understood. Well, you, you know, you just examine yourself. What do you do? So let's look at a few things. Number one, you should examine your attitudes. Jesus begins the supper by giving thanks. That's his first thing that he does. Uh, he gives thanks for the cup, pass it out among the disciples. Some versions actually leave off half of verse 19 and all of verse 20 so that Luke simply has the cup and then the bread. But the truth is the best reading of this includes, uh, it includes verses 19 and 20 because then it's, it's the cup, the bread, and then the cup. So let me unpack that a little bit. Here's why the Jewish Passover, actually there was four cups during the, the, the Jewish Passover. And that's what they're doing. They're there partaking of the Jewish Passover. So Luke probably is recording the first and the third cups in this narrative here. The first cup was accompanied by this prayer. When they, did, when they took the first cup, the prayer was something like this. Blessed are you, Yahweh, our God, who has created the fruit of the vine. So it was just a beginning of a prayer of thanksgiving. So the first cup is, God, we just thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for salvation. That was the first cup. And then Jesus introduced it by saying this would be the last time that he was going to partake of this together, you know, with, with anyone until it was fulfilled in the, uh, the kingdom of God. The second cup that followed was kind of an explanation of the day, you know, and how it was celebrated. And then they followed that by the Halal Psalms, which is basically Psalms 113 through 118. Those are the Halal Psalms that they would sing usually during any time of celebration. So they would after the second cup, they would kind of exclaim, you know, this is what this holiday, this is what this Passover is all about. This is why we do that. And then let's sing a psalm together. 
And then came the meal itself. Then they would have a meal. And Jesus gave thanks for the bread. And here he, and you've, I mean, you might have heard me say this before, but he reinterprets the elements of the Passover by showing them that they, from now on, he wants them to know that they are pointing to his impending death. These, th- these elements now are going to be in remembrance of him, which, again, we could go sideways on this, but for, th- for all these hundreds of years, they've been celebrating one, one way, and Jesus comes in, from now on, when you take these cups at Passover, remember me by it. And so he instructs them in the future that this is how he wants them to remember him. This is the snapshot. When you remember me, this is how I want you to remember me. So then there's the third cup, the cup of blessing, which was followed by the main course. And in this cup, Jesus says in the same way, or meaning in the same way they did to the first cup, which was Thanksgiving. So first cup, Thanksgiving. Third cup, Thanksgiving. So then he explains, you know, this, this cup, this, this one is going to symbolize the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. And, and so, and it's, inter- it's interesting that the final cup is never recorded in any of the gospel accounts, which was also drunk in connection with the singing of the final halal psalms. So here's the point. Here's what I really want. And, and, and again, you can study that and it's good to kind of look at that. I don't want to get too deeply involved in it because there's just a lot there. But let, here's the point of this. And that is that uh, this last supper, this memorial meal of Jesus, um, it, 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 Jesus wants it to be marked by thanksgiving yes. and joy. I mean, you know, I mean, you just saw pictures of my kids. I hope that I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't look at that. It just makes me cry every time. You know, I, I want to, you know, there's, I'm thankful for my kids and it brings joy to my life, you know, at the same time, you know, yeah, there's times as parents, you go, oh, wow, man, I gotta, I gotta keep it together. You know, these kids are counting on me, you know, but most of the time, you know, you want your heart to be filled with thanksgiving and joy. And that's, that's what's going on here. The Passover was a time to give thanks to God because they were delivered out of the Exodus. I mean, so it was a time of joy. It was a time of thanksgiving. And so it's a time for us to thank God for this amazing salvation that he's provided for us, right? And, and the death of Jesus and all that he did to, to bring us to this place. And Tori just referenced that when she was praying. You know, it was all to bring us nearer. Wow. This is a time for us to rejoice in the unbelievable, extravagant grace of God that's been poured out on each of us. It should be a time of hope. As a matter of fact, if you notice, he mentions twice in here that he's, you know, the coming kingdom two times. So it should, so it should be thanksgiving. It should be joy. It should be hope, right? So that's, that's the tone of this, you know, that because he knew, he knew that he was going to be resurrected from the dead. He knew that, right? So so here's the deal. When we, so one of the first things, and this is a good gut check, but when we come to the Lord's table, we should examine our attitudes. And uh, are we people of thanksgiving? Are we people of joy? Are we people of hope? Or, and are we grumblers? Are we filled with gloom and despair? I like John Piper. He says this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so, you know, when you are, if you're truly looking at Jesus, I mean, if your eyes are really fixed on him, gloom, despair, depression shouldn't be part of your attitude. So if we're really fixed on him and, and we're seeing his grace and his goodness and what he has done through the cross, then something in us should just go, thank you, Jesus. Joy should be evident. Hope should be evident. So one of the main ways that we glorify God is by enjoying him. 
He says, come to the table, enjoy this time. See the blessing, see my, you know, see what I've done. Please don't, so if, if you, you know, if you're coming to the Lord's table and there's depression or despair, then let me just encourage you. That's, that's one of the ways. So check your attitude. If during this time, even in this moment, if you, if you have a sense of that, that's probably because you're just looking at the wrong thing. Shift your eyes over onto Jesus. That's all you got to do. You stare at that, you stare, you know, read the headlines long enough, you're going to get depressed. Stop looking at the headlines, start looking at Jesus and let your hearts be filled with joy and thanksgiving again, right? Not too many amens on that one. But that's how we examine our actions. So that's a good time for us to shift over and start saying, okay, Lord, let me just see that, the wonder of grace and the beauty of the cross again. So, so that's one, we should examine our a- uh, attitudes. Number two, we should examine our actions. So, you know, Jesus shocked the disciples by announcing, you know, you know when he says the hand of one that's betraying me is at the table. I mean, you can only imagine. Wow, what? Um, it's because to share a, a meal with somebody in that culture was an act of friendship and loyalty. So it was unthinkable that, you know, someone that you had eaten with would betray you. I mean, betray you. That was a terrible thing. So, you know, let alone betraying, you know, Jesus, right? Um, but the truth is, you know, not only, I mean, yeah, Judas betrayed Jesus, but the truth is it wasn't too long after that. Some of them kind of went off the rails too. They had their moment, <laughs> you know. And I hope, I mean, I, I truly hope that nobody in this room is in danger of betraying Jesus, but it is possible. It's possible. None of us can say that we are, that we are beyond betrayal. Not one person in this room could say that. And that's, that's sobering to think about. Just like the, the apostles, we are all prone to be selfish. We are all prone to sinful behavior. I mean, I wish you could just turn it off and say, hey, no, I've, I've been doing this thing for 35, 40 years. I'm good. I'm in automatic. No, it could happen. Am I right? So we are prone to be led in, into all kinds of silly arguments and all kinds of stuff. But, but the Lord's Supper is a time for us just to pause and examine our actions. Look at your life. Look at your actions over the last week, the last few weeks the last month and just, you know, is there pride in me, Lord? Is there, is there anything in me that just kind of prone to my own ways, my own, and, and am I just not denying myself? Am I just really just satisfying myself and living unto myself? Am I just following after my own heart? Am I just really my own person, my own God, my own direction? Is it really just all about me and what I want and what I want to do? Because the truth is, you know, that's just, we just have to know that that is the inclination of our hearts. So we need time to examine that. If we don't purposely examine that, we just, that's, just our, that's just the natural progression of our heart. It just goes that way. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves to know that. The, the natural course of our heart isn't just to keep, hey, I just, no, we have to deny ourselves. We have to purposely focus ourselves on Jesus and go after the, the, the ways of Jesus. It isn't just natural. There is a sinful nature in us. And we, so th- that's what I'm saying. That's what this, that's one of the, the beauties of this moment that where Jesus says, do this regularly because it causes you to focus on him, causes you to examine those things because he knows that we just, if we don't, we'll just kind of think, you know how it is. They say, you know, if a, if a, a plane or a boat just gets off 1%. You know, at the first you don't notice it, but you know, after a little while, all of a sudden you go, how in the world did I get over here? Well, because somebody didn't examine the, the, the instruments on that plane or boat to, to notice that they were off course. You got you to check things out, right? It says this in verse 
28 of chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, it says, let, let a person examine, examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the, here's the thing. Yeah, you may examine yourself and you go, yeah, there are some things in my life that some of my actions and my attitudes that are off. So does that mean that you just kind of say, well, then I can't really participate in the Lord's Supper? You may be sitting here thinking, I, I, wow, <laughs> if that's the case, then I'm not really ready. But here's what it says. It says, let a person examine himself and then eat. Examine yourself, bring it under the blood of Jesus, confess it to him, and then eat. It's just that simple. Examine yourself and beat yourself up. Let, let the devil just tell you that you're a worthless failure and you mess up and you'll never get this thing right and just walk out and don't do communion because you're not worthy. No, just examine that. Say, thank you that your blood is greater than all of my failures and actions and attitudes, but I bring it under and I bring it under judgment and I ask your forgiveness. Now I'm going to partake because it's all about you, Jesus. This meal is about you. It's not about me and my shortcomings. It's about you. Well, that just preaches right there. It's, it's about Jesus. So let's just, so that's, just do that. That's all you have to do. So it's not meant to be club, club, club. It's meant to be, yeah, I see that. I really, all, all this, all this examining really does is just shows you, I really need Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> is, that's a good thing, okay? And, and it's meant to just do that. It's not meant to say, it's not meant to be a time of condemnation or guilt. So in this time, when we do this, if you sense condemnation and guilt and fear, just recognize that that's the enemy trying to take advantage of this moment when we're supposed to be focusing on Jesus and he's trying to make you think, make it about you. Just cast off, just, just know that that voice is the voice of the enemy and it's not Jesus and it's not truth. And you can just go, oh, well then I'm not listening to that. I'm listening instead to the truth of what Jesus is saying. So... So, so in that moment, you know, that's, that's what we want to do. So examine your, your attitudes, actions, and then examine our, your, our affections. We should examine our affections. Jesus told the 12, this is a beautiful, this is one of those verses you can read right over, but when you really dive into this, and you might, you might just do that as a study sometime. It says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That, that phrasing right there is one of the strongest emotional phrasings in the New Testament. I have desire, I mean, it's like I have desired upon, you know, it's, it's desire upon desire. It's not just like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking, to, you know, I'm looking forward to getting together with you at Chick-fil-A, that would be nice. No, this is like, I have desired upon desired. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's the strongest emotional verb that you can get out of the New Testament. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This, he's, he's been waiting for this time to be able to really share with these guys that he loves to the uttermost. He just can't wait. His great love you know, he knows that he is that spotless lamb of God who's going to be slain from, uh, and, you know, and he's going to go through the worst possible thing that anyone could possibly endure. Uh, but he, he's ready for this moment because he knows why this moment is here. That's, and he knows that this verse here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God made Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He knew that's what it was for. And so he knew what his mission was all about. He knew why he was there. There's no greater love in all the universe than what Jesus was about, in what, what he is demonstrating and was about to demonstrate. Yes. And so it's a time for us just to examine our affections. His affections were clear. He desired upon desire. He, you know, for the joy set before him, he brought him to this moment. He couldn't wait because he knew what was going to happen, that they were going to be made the righteousness of God. All from this point on, none of them 
you know, but from this, from after that point on, they were all going to be, we were all going to be made righteous. It's just awesome. Kind of uh, Galatians 2.20 says this, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Does that kind of love motivate? I mean, I hope it does. I, I hope that that love motivates you, that that is your motivation to walk away from sin. That is your motivation to live a holy life is because of that right there. By faith, I live in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, you know, hopefully when you hear these things, and again, they are familiar for some of us who've been in part of church for a while, they're familiar and they can just kind of, oh yeah, I know that, that's good. But that's why we have to pause and look at this picture because it can just become like, yeah, I get it, I get it. But let it, let it, let it just penetrate your heart again. Let your heart just warm up to this again. So out of my love for Jesus, you know, who gave himself for me on the cross, who desires earnestly desires the fellowship with me. I gladly forsake all sin. I lay it all aside. I gladly take this time and I come to this table because he longs for this fellowship. He's made, he has done so much to make a way for this fellowship. He has done so much to make a way for this connection of our hearts. And so I gladly take this time to examine my attitudes, examine my actions, examine my affections. So that's the spirit of at that moment of examining. So I just kind of want to lay that out. You know, so take some time to do that. Every time we come to the Lord's table, just say, Lord, where am I at? Where's my attitudes, actions, and affections? And, and, I, and I gladly bring them and bring judgment and I, and I bring the, the power of the word and the blood of Jesus on them because I want nothing to spoil this moment because it is all about you, which is our second point today, which is this. When we come to the Lord's table, we should look to Jesus. It's all about him. That's what this moment is all about. It's looking to Christ. So, Unless we know him, you can't really remember him. Um, if we knew a little bit about Jesus, our remembrance about him would just be kind of, kind of sad and shallow. But the more you know about him, the, the greater your time of remembering is. And you know that if any of you have ever had somebody who's passed on before, and, and, and the more that you, the, the deeper your, your relationship and the stronger those bonds were, when you go back and you think about it, it just it causes your heart just to, Wow. Yesterday was, I think it was 12 years ago that my, uh, my father had passed away. And so all these texts from my brothers and sisters, and they're all sharing memories of my dad and, and you know, just some funny stuff. But you know, it's because we knew him, you know, and the more we know him and the more we think about it, it's, you know, it's almost, it's like those pictures, they don't fade. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome. You know, you could easily just kind of go, oh yeah, who was my dad? What was his name? But that's not the case. I mean, because we keep those things alive, Right. And so that knowledge keeps that, that memory more vivid. And so that's what we want to do during times of communion is, is, Lord, open up my eyes to see Jesus. Give me a fresh lens and a fresh understanding of who Jesus is. And so that's, a, that's the biggest part of, that, of this preparation moment is, okay, first of all, I've dealt with me. I've looked within. I've checked my attitudes, actions, and affections. Now, Lord, let me see you. Let me see the beauty of the cross. Let me see the beauty of this moment again. I want to know you in, in a deeper and more profound way than I ever have before. And so... Because the truth is, if we look at ourselves too long, we'll despair. Just like I said, a little bit of that's okay because it should make us go, I really need Jesus, right? And so, and, and, but, you know, and the Lord doesn't want to leave us there. He says, look to me now. So first thing that when we look to Jesus, I'm just going to cover four things. That's the thing that's really crazy about this moment. So when I say we need to remember Jesus, 
So what does that look like? Wow, we could go on and on, but I'm just going to give you four kind of as they relate to this text that we're looking at today. Does that sound fair enough? But I want to challenge you to make that a lifetime of knowing Jesus. Okay, so the first thing that we kind of get from this text today is, is, is one, in knowing Jesus, we should look to Jesus who sovereignly laid down his life of his own free will. That was kind of the theme of the verse, several verses, uh, verses 7 through 13 kind of really look at it. Jesus had control over this circumstance of, of the impending death that was in front of him. Because what you'll see here is that we don't know for sure whether Jesus had prearranged all those things with and the preparations for that room. Um, or whether he just kind of knew those things supernaturally. I think it's just, it's, the more I study this, I think that Jesus prearranged all those things because he knew that Judas was going to uh, betray him and that he wasn't going to let anything derail him from the, the power of that moment because not only the Lord's, the institution of the Lord's Supper, but the, that, that upper room discourse in John chapter 13 through 17 is some of the most powerful scriptures that we have as it relates to our understanding of how Jesus wants us to be his disciples. And so, you know, I think, I think that was part of the, the, the story there. But, and so, you know, Jesus arranged for a male servant. You know, and it kind of even, you know, I love little details like that. You know, there was a male servant who's carrying a pitcher. Well, why is that significant? Because if uh, women carried the pitchers of water, whereas men carried like these, uh, um, uh, like the wine skins of water. Uh, I don't even know, I, I got the wrong word in my head, but they, they carried like their, their bags of water, whereas women carry jugs. So it's like, that would stick out. If you're walking, if you're coming into the town, oh, what's that guy doing with that picture of water? You know, so he, he, there's just all those different things that God, that Jesus had arranged in this moment. So the disciples know, knew exactly where to go. Uh, but why? Because it just shows that Jesus was in charge of what was going on. Yeah. Even his betrayal. You know, the betrayal shocked the 11, but it didn't shock Jesus. Do we understand that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the 11 are like, Judah, what? You know, but Jesus knew. As a matter of fact, even as early as John chapter 6, Jesus kind of had alluded to that. He said, one of you amongst us is a devil. So he knew early on that this was going to happen. It didn't catch him by surprise, right? And so, you know, Scripture really, why is that important? Because Scripture really goes out of its way to really let us know that Jesus was not stopped in his attempt to set up his kingdom by Jesus, by Judas's betrayal. Amen. That didn't slow anything down. Amen. That, had, you know, that didn't stop anything. You know, the plot by the Jewish leaders, that didn't slow it. That, that, that wasn't like, oh, wow, what are we going to do with that? Uh, they were responsible for their horrible sin. I, I, their horrible sin. But listen, Jesus was fully aware of what was ahead of him. Here's what it says in Acts it says, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Yes. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. If you don't get it, listen to this verse. This just, yeah. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Why is that a big deal? Because his death was no accident. Evil men didn't temporarily, temporarily all of a sudden just get the upper hand on God and snuck in and betray Jesus and pull one over on him. And Jesus is like, oh, I guess I am going to die. That, that's not what happened here. His death was part of God's plan from the foundation of the world. He had the whole thing scoped out. Yeah. Yes. And you can take comfort in it because it was his love yes. that drove for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And that, listen, 
that changes everything. If you take those two things out of there, if you just pull those two thoughts out of there, of of the story of Jesus's life, if you thought for a moment that he was motivated by something like duty or obligation, those poor souls, you know what, I tell you what, I'll just go down, I'll pay the price and I'm out. Somebody needs to redeem them. They got themselves into a mess. They're a bunch of idiots. They're sheep, they're lost. Eh. I'll go down, I'll help them out and peace out. Hope you guys survive. Good luck. No, it wasn't due to your obligation, it was love. And if, if we thought that his life was taken because somebody betrayed him and a bunch of people who hated him got the upper hand on him, that would change everything. So th- those are significant, don't you think? If, if you thought that it was anything except for love and his sovereignty that led him to that moment, it would change the whole story, but it's, that's not the story. So the, in this moment, it's good for us to think about that part of this, this narrative is that Jesus sovereignly, lovingly laid down his life for us. And that's beautiful. That, that changes to me, it changes the whole narrative, changes the whole context of it. There was no duty, there was no obligation, it was all love. Don't you love that? I'm so thankful for that. If I ever got a hint of that in the New Testament, it was just anything less than that, it would taint the whole story. Think about it, but it's not the truth. We should look to Jesus who knows our hearts. Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart. He knew what was in Peter's heart and he knows what's in your heart right now sitting here. And nothing is hidden from his sight. We are fools like Judas if we try to cover our sin from him. To hypocritically say, is it me? You know, when we come to this table, he knows your heart and he loves you thoroughly through and through. And there's absolutely nothing you could do that would drive Jesus away from you. He has been pursuing and chasing our hearts for millennial. He knows your heart. And that just, so let your heart just rest in that. This is a time of remembering him. He knows you. He knows you through and through. He's not disappointed in you. He's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. You really, that's a word for a lot of people here. Can you just need to know Jesus is not disappointed with any of you. He knew everything he was getting into at this moment in your life. Disappointment would mean that he didn't know. That he was caught off guard. That he's clueless. Right? He loves you. You can't disappoint him. You can't, you, can't, you can't chase him off. He's not that finicky. Oh no, if you do a little bit, the Holy Spirit's gonna leave. Can you imagine? That'd be like a, a skittish cat or something. You move it. Oh, he took off. You know, no, he has been pursuing you and you're not gonna run him off. He knows your heart. There you go. That's the reason you came today, right there. Number three, we should look to Jesus whose sacrificial death is the heart of the Christian faith. Sometimes we are at a disadvantage uh, because uh, of what is happening in the New, Te- in New Testament, because we're just maybe not as familiar with the Old Testament or some of the customs of the Old Testament. So before we kind of, what we need to do just for a little bit is at least look at this Feast of the Unleavened Bread and just have an understanding of what's really taking place here. And so because it really helps us to tie into communion and the crucifixion when we just become a little bit more of a student of these Jewish moments, these, these Jewish uh, heritages and uh, things that are taking place here. So, so for instance, you know, just looking at the origin of the unleavened um, unleavened bread and the Passover in the book of Exodus chapter 12. So uh, everything I'm going to share here really is right out of Exodus chapter 12. 
So the setting is Egypt. Some of you know the setting is Egypt. The Israelites are slaves that God is working to free. He's using Moses and a number of miraculous plagues to get Pharaoh to let them go. But you guys know Pharaoh's not budging. So the Lord tells Moses, tell the people to take an unblemished lamb, male lamb, one for each family, keep it with you for a few days, and then kill it. And then pour the blood into a basin that's built into the doorpost, thresholds of the, uh, of the doors, and then take some of that blood and put it on the, the doorpost and at the top of the door. And then, then I want you to roast the lamb and in, in the fire and eat the flesh of the lamb with the unleavened bread and a bunch of bitter herbs. And then here's the other thing. And when you, when you eat it, I want you to be ready to move. I want you to have sandals on. I want you to have your loins girded and have your staff in your hand and eat this thing in haste because here's what's going to happen. At night, I'm going to come through Egypt and I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone in your family and all the beasts that, uh, uh, that are in the house. And, and I will, if I see the blood on the doorpost of your house, I will pass over it. Yeah, see, you guys know. I'll pass over it and the judgment will not destroy you. And so then he, you know, he goes on to say, this is going to be a holiday for your people in remembrance of how the judgment passed over you and how I delivered you out of the, uh, out of the land of Egypt. And he even goes into even more detail. It says, every year get the lamb on the 10th day of the first month, Nisan, and killed on the 14th day of the month. And then from the 14th day until the 21st day, you shall eat the unleavened bread. So very clear instructions. So this is the holiday that's going on right here. This is where they're at. They're in the middle of this holiday. They're celebrating this holiday. And the Jews practice every year, the Passover beginning the seven days of eating the unleavened bread. And so that's, that's where they're at. They're in the first day of this unleavened bread Passover and it's, and it's approaching. And, and of course, they're, they're not allowed to work. And that's why they had to go and get things prepared because once that day hits, no work's going on. So it's like, go ahead, get this thing. That's why he's sending Peter and John, get on ahead because once at six o'clock, when, when it hits six o'clock, work's done. So all the preparation has to be in place. So it, it, one of the things that is, is, that is also absent from all of the narratives is there's no, none of them talk about any of them eating the lamb. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, none of them talk about eating the lamb, but that, that's, part of the, that's part of the Passover meal. Why? They've had the lamb of God with them for the last nearly four years. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome. So it's interesting that in all the gospels, none of that's there, but why? Because here they know that they are going to be partaking of the lamb of God, the lamb of God. They're, they know that what, what's going on here is, is exactly that that pivotal moment in the life of the disciples in John chapter 6 when Jesus says I am the living bread that came down out of heaven if anyone eats of this bread he shall live forever and the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh and then he says in verse 54 he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on that day and if you remember what happened when he said those kind of stuff a lot of people said out we don't know what you're talking about this sounds like cannibalism this is we're done see ya but this is what Jesus was talking about, this moment. Hebrews 12 says that this, when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So that's what this is. Jesus knew this Lord's Supper is that time of remembrance. And he's changing the remembrance to be not about the Passover, but it's now going to be about me. It's going to be about this sacrifice that I'm laying down for you. And so... That's the basis, it's the basis of our, our forgiveness and our relationship with God right here. And that's what he's establishing. And this covenant reminds us that God's will, he keeps his promise. It's a done deal. Yes. And so the death of Jesus on our behalf should be the focus. I mean, every day, I hope that as a believer of Jesus, every day, somewhere in your day that you're remembering 
And it's central. It's somewhere in your heart, in your mind, just remembering that everything that you have is because of the atonement. It's because of the blood. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And him crucified. And if we really, I mean, the truth is, if you meditate even just for a a little bit on the cross, (laughs) humility comes. And that's what the Lord wants us to walk humbly before him, recognizing that everything we are, I mean, honestly, the best way to say this, and it's super edifying, we are recipient nothing is what we are. We are recipient nothingness. Everything we have is because we've received it. If you think that you've made something great out of your life and you're a big deal because of whatever, your education, your status, whatever, nah. You've received everything you've got. Your health, your strength, your wisdom, it all has been something that you've received. And that's what meditating on the cross does. It keeps us humble. It keeps things into perspective. Can you celebrate those? Yes, sure, because that's the Lord's grace and his goodness that's brought to you. But you always need, you got to come back to saying, but Lord, if it wasn't for you, none of this happens. So that's why we need to always come back to and remember the cross. And that's what these moments should remind us in this moment. It's, wow, thank you, Jesus. And then lastly, we should look to, to Jesus, whose resurrection and promised return assure us of the efficacy of his death. Jesus solemnly assures the disciples that he will not eat of the Passover or drink of the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom comes. So he predicts his resurrection. He predicts his coming again in power and glory to establish his kingdom. And he points ahead to the day when his kingdom is going to be established on earth. And because he was raised from the dead, because we know that he is coming again, we can know that his death accomplished everything that he said it was going to accomplish. Wow. Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I think Pastor, you quoted this, and it's such a great quote. Andy Stanley said, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. And so that's what all, that, those are the things that should be going through our heart and mind. And so the Lord wants, that's what the Lord's table is all about. And so in this moment, as we come to this moment, uh, we are here today just to remember and honor Jesus. If you've applied the blood of Jesus to your life, you know, that final judgment's going to pass over you. If you've asked for the forgiveness of Jesus in your life, that final judgment will pass over you. If you are here today and you've not applied the blood of Jesus to your life, then let me just encourage you. That judgment is going to happen to you unless you apply the blood of Jesus to your life. And I just want to invite anybody in this room. As a matter of fact, if you wouldn't mind going ahead and just standing with me as we close our time together here in just a moment. I want to encourage you right now, if you've not applied the blood of Jesus to your life, to to ask for and to receive his forgiveness that's freely available to you today in Jesus. Because the truth is, before we partake, we want you to, to be forgiven. We want everyone, and that's the, that's the basis of taking the Lord's Supper together is that you recognize that you are forgiven. So I just want to give you a moment, every head bowed and all eyes are closed, just a moment to think about that. Have you really recognized and know that you absolutely need the forgiveness of Jesus and salvation that only comes through him and that you're ready to begin a relationship? It starts with, it starts with one conversation that just simply says, Jesus, I give you my life. That's the beginning of a lifetime of conversations with Jesus. It's the beginning of a lifetime of relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I give you my life. Are you ready to say that? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never said, Jesus, I give you my life, but I know that that's where this thing starts. I know that I need forgiveness. I need the blood of Jesus applied to my life, and I'm ready to say, Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, would you mind just lifting your hand and letting us know so that we can pray for you this morning? 
you're ready to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Is anybody at all that you want us to pray for you? Just raise your hand. So let me just direct your attention to those of you then, I'm going to assume that everybody else in this this room has had a relationship with Jesus for some time. And let me just say this, the Lord doesn't want your heart blocked. He doesn't want your heart bound. And he knows that there are just too often, too many different things in, in our life that blocks our heart. I really just, I just want you to remember several months back when Pastor Maddox did a message on flipping tables and those things that block our hearts like religion and comfort and convenience and distraction and busyness and fear and lack of trust and the American dream. We know that there are just so many things that wanna block our hearts, but Jesus wants to flip those things, remove those things in us so that we can really have our hearts to be filled with him, that our hearts to be focused on him, that nothing would, would hinder or block our hearts from loving him in the way that he intended for us to. So that's my prayer for you this morning is that God, that he would remove any apathy that has made this Lord's Supper a ritual. And to let your heart be moved once again, as you see his great love that was demonstrated on the cross. So if your heart, maybe your heart has grown cold, let me just challenge you in this next few minutes to take the time to examine your attitudes and your actions and affections and say, Jesus, I don't want anything blocking my heart. I want my heart to be wide open. I want total freedom. So our Usher's gonna come and our floor hosts are gonna come and they're gonna begin to distribute the elements. And as those elements are distributed, I'm just gonna ask you to take some time to examine, confess, and then in just a little bit, we're gonna partake. So as you stand here, just let your heart examine your affections, your attitudes, and your and your actions. So let's do that for a moment and then we'll partake together.
bread represents part of your plan for us, which is a, your body was broken for us. Lord, that we can find salvation and healing, deliverance because of your broken body. And we thank you, Jesus. Let our hearts again just be warmed up and remember once again of your beautiful sacrifice for us. Let us see the beauty of that relationship that you've called us to. So Lord, we pray that Jesus bless this. Thank you, Lord, that as we take this in, we're taking a fellowship with you. So Lord, bless this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread together. And this is how he signed it with it. The blood of his, his blood. He signed that covenant. Made a better way. There was a way that they used to have access to God, but it wasn't the way we have it now. This signed and made a better way. Thank you, Jesus, that you ratified that covenant with your blood and you signed it. There is nothing in the universe could take it back. There's nothing in the universe could change this. Thank you that we have a covenant with you forever, that it is the strongest covenant ever. Nothing could ever break it. And we, that just lets our hearts rejoice Let's our hearts be at peace and be glad because we know that you loved us that much to, 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 to make that kind of a, an arrangement for our hearts to be connected to you forever. So, Lord, thank you for this cup and what it represents. Thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together. So let's just take a moment. We're going to focus on Jesus. So the last thing they did at the meal was they sang a halal psalm together, okay? They would worship should always, this time should always be filled with thanksgiving and joy and hope, always. So his death and resurrection sealed the deal. So that's what we need. And so we're going to just come and they're going to lead us in a song. Let your hearts just pour out in thanksgiving as we give our hearts to Jesus. 